This week, Bill Walker joins us to talk about how to find truth in a postmodern culture. And so Bill is, has actually been here before. If y'all were at main event, um, any of the Sunday school leaders, Bill came and spoke at that, and it was awesome. Um, and so thank you for joining us again. Thank you, you Megan. It's good to be here. Trip. I appreciate the second invite. That means I, yeah, once is you never know, but twice means yeah. I, there was something valuable about it. So. Yeah, and it was, it was a really great time. So he shared um, about really just how do we do discipleship? Um, and that's what he shared about at main events, um, and it was fantastic. And so I know we have a whole thing to get into here, and I'll switch over to that in a second. But can we get to know you really quick first? Yeah, um, yeah, please. Tell us about you and the work that you do now, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you. I, I'll share immediately what I'm recently gotten into and then go backwards a little bit. Uh, I currently, in terms of work, am the director of something called Hill House Christian Study Center at UT Austin, which is a campus ministry of sorts, but the interesting, interesting or different thing about it is that we're trying to be more of a uh, life-of-the-mind resource center to UT students who are Christians that don't get that at UT precisely because it's not a Christian university. So trying deliberately not to duplicate anything that the church or even parachurch organizations are, are, are already doing, like worship services, small group, discipleship, Bible study, those things are great, but we're not trying to do those things. We tend to have, we have regular dinners, discussions, uh, talks, workshops, short courses on really specialized topics of interest to students around the intersection of uh, faith and reason on, in, on any number of subjects that you might come into contact with in your education experience at a place like UT. So you name it, we'll talk about it, and we're not afraid of controversial topics. So that's the idea, is that we, uh, whereas the church has to be a little more careful and selective with how much it can go into certain things, we are just like, bring it on, come on. Uh, and, and yet we're, we're, we are a Christian organization, uh, so we're not shy about that, but we're trying to be, a, at the same time, a kind of intellectually hospitable place for disagreement, dialogue, discussion of different points of view on, on various challenging uh, questions and topics related to Christianity and life in the modern world. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you also work with Truett Seminary still, right? Yes, I, I teach uh, historical theology courses at Truett. Used to be in helping with spiritual formation there in the uh, spiritual formation program. I, I've also been a pastor uh, for a number of years at a church called Christ Church in Austin, overseeing a faith and work ministry. Uh, so some of that translates into what I'm doing now at UT with a focus on vocational discernment for college students alongside of the tough questions. Um, but I, I uh, went to Baylor for college, for seminary, did a PhD in theology at a school called Claremont. Uh, I'm from Austin, though I grew up in South Texas, or was born and raised in South Texas, then moved to Austin when I was young. Um, I have uh, three kiddos, married to my wife Whitney of 15 years, three boys, they are six, four, and two. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, full <laughs> life is full, and uh, yeah, nights away from home don't come cheap. So uh, yeah, here we appreciate, I, but but I uh, am also very happy to be here. Yeah. If that makes awesome. sense, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a treat for me yeah. to be with you all. And so, how did you get into um, or interested in this work you're doing now, and you know this kind of topic? It sounds like this is the kind of thing that you talk about there at 
Yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, I, I could tell the story just by referring to uh, something I would do on a weekly basis during college at Baylor. I, I heard about and attended a gathering called the Atheist and Agnostic Society Meeting uh, at Baylor, which is an interesting place to have a gathering like that, but because that group feels like a minority at Baylor, and, and yet I was drawn to it because of the kinds of conversations they would have. And this wasn't totally new for me. In high school, I loved to talk to people who weren't Christians and hear why they didn't believe what I believed. And uh, I, I wasn't yet planning on going to seminary or, or being uh, an academic or a church leader, but I, but I just loved the discussion. And eventually I did go to seminary, and I did kind of dive into some of these questions and study them. It took, the, took my education as far as I could um, around questions about uh, kind of belief and faith in, in in the modern world and in postmodern culture, like we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but it, it, to me, it started, I think, probably with my own genuine wrestling with some of these questions at a at a personal level. Uh, I resonate with the questions. I think they're good questions. I don't think they're easy answers to a lot of these questions. And I and I'm a little bit frustrated and discouraged when I hear. Uh, answers that aren't as, as thoughtful and robust as they could be. Uh, so without wanting to over, you can, you can take this so far that all we do is talk about things that we can't know about for sure and, and all that. So I, I do want to try to like arrive at something like working answers, uh, but it's harder than, than we think sometimes and it, it takes longer and more patience and more, and, and, and it's, we're better Christians when we, better witnesses when we do that work, I think. Uh, for ourselves and for the and for the world that we're trying to share the gospel with, so I'm really uh, excited about that kind of um, inquiry and and uh, conversation with with fellow Christians. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And for this is another plug for retreat. Um, so Bill was so I was working through some ideas that I wanted to do on the retreat, and when Bill came and spoke at main event. Um, he gave me an idea, and I was like, that's what we're doing. <laughs> and so um, at the retreat, we're going to, I don't want to give away too much, but we're going to do something called a rule of life. We're going to talk about that and kind of unpack that. Um, and that came out of a conversation that Bill and I had at main event, because um, that's, um, it has to do with discipleship and um, mm -hmm. kind of creating a set of spiritual disciplines that, that work for you, which is kind of our loose theme that we're using through the semester. Um, and so... Just know that Bill has now informed like this entire semester, and it'll culminate in the retreat. But um, we had such yeah. a great time at main don't, event. Don't blame me if it's not good. Yeah, yeah. All that to say, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, we had a really great time there, and we learned a lot from Bill. And so, um, anyway, I'm excited for retreat. So if if that's if you need another reason to sign up, that's another one. Um, but that's awesome. So we can get started with stuff for tonight, and I can run your slideshow or. We can switch places, and you can. Yeah, let me. I'll get right there. That way, I don't have to keep telling you to go to the next. That, that can get tedious for everybody. Yeah, and I told uh, Megan already that I have a plan, and I have a lot of content. I always have too much, and I don't intend to even get through all of it. I have stopping points that are natural, <laughs> and but I want to encourage you to interrupt me and ask questions and raise a hand and insert something and we can I'm, I'm totally flexible this feels like a really uh conversational environment I want yeah. I want to lean into that so please don't if I get if you get bored or anything pops up just just <laughs> yell or I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll address where your mind is wandering because yeah. this is the kind of talk where I think that's actually that might make it better anyway yeah 
Uh, truth in the postmodern culture. All right, y'all. I, I just want to start with. Uh, here, I'll go ahead and let me. Oh play. yeah, sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this passage from John, this, this exchange between Jesus and Pilate has always mm. um, this is one of my favorite intrigued and haunted me just because it's it's almost like it's almost like scriptures are written in such a way as to speak to our time, you know? Uh, who'd have <laughs> thought? And and recognize that that Pilate asked the question that I think I think many people are asking. Yeah. Whether they know it or not, they're they're feeling for it. So I'm I'm, I'm not gonna we're not gonna do a Bible study of this passage, but just as a reference point to kick off this question, you, you hear Jesus talking about who he is and the truth, and saying that he's come to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He says, Pilate asks, "What is truth?" <laughs> and 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 gosh, there's so much we could even commentaries on this though. I, I don't. I find this I find this astounding and baffling mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a, just an amazing moment in this story. And then and then there's no that, that's it. What is truth? And then he moves on. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, "I find no basis for a charge against him." So I, I I refer to this passage just to prompt for us the question of what is truth and how it's getting asked in this kind of way. I think today, where what is Pilate's concern? Is his concern the truth? In this situation, any capital T truth, I mean, it doesn't seem like it, right? He, no, he, he's trying to figure out, is Jesus a threat? Mm -hmm. Is he a problem? Is he guilty? Is he doing something that we need to deal with or not? Because that's really all that matters. Is, is, he a, is there a power play? Or, or can I just kind of brush him aside and let the Jewish people figure out their own problems? You know? mm -hmm. That seems to be sort of his posture, right? It's like, okay, whatever. I, I don't care what you're actually teaching. Just are you causing trouble or not? You know? Yeah. Um, that seems like a common attitude in some ways mm. right now. All right. Have you all ever <laughs> seen this? Uh, I, I got a blurry. I should I pixelated. No, it's okay. Sorry. I tried no. to expand it. But the, the blind man and the I elephant. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. You all know this parable, this story? I don't think so. It's an it's a ancient story that has different versions and that's been taken in many directions from s the sub- Indian continent um, that that is found in in texts uh, kind of sacred texts in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Baha'i religion. But the story goes that these guys there's a different there's one where they're blindfolded. This one they're just called blind. Like they go and they they discover this elephant, all these blind guys, and they start feeling around to see what it is. And they are each on a different part of the elephant, and they say different things about what it feels like. <laughs> like, oh, the, the dude touching the tusk is like, oh, it's smooth, and it's, it's like a bone, and it's really hard. The other, somebody touching the trunk, oh, it's, it's like a snake. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it moves and whatever, it, different, different things. And then the, maybe the, something else about the, the tail or, or the leg and so on. No, they're all touching the same thing, but they're saying totally different, giving totally different descriptions and arguing, disagreeing. Maybe they even get into a fight about it. <laughs> they can't. They can't seem to come to any agreement about what the reality is that they're all facing from different directions. You can see where this is going, right? <laughs> as an analogy for uh, the attempt in the modern 
life, though, though this was written in an ancient time, interestingly, kind of like our John passage, uh, to, to, uh, to deal with the question of what is, how do we actually know what is ultimately true? There's so many different perspectives and experiences, right? Uh, one more or two more little quick postmodern illustrations here. This is not a piece of art that I'm very familiar with. I just Google image searched like postmodern <laughs> theory and art. And <laughs> this one came up that I thought awesome. was, was very helpful because if you look closely, you can tell that this is not a, a coherent picture of like physical reality, right? Looks like uh, Harry Potter with all the... It does Staircases. at first, and okay. then you realize it's quite that's, strange. You know that's where my yeah, brain the is at. Yeah, the human figures. It, ex yeah, except okay. even in Harry Potter, <laughs> despite the magic, the stairs are all going up in the yeah. same direction, right? Yeah. Whereas here, it's you know, they're, they're not. The reality and physics and gravity is distorted in this picture because truth is portrayed relativistically. Yeah. I, I was excited to learn about the faith and science conversation y'all are going to have. Uh, one little tidbit, I'm way out of my depths when it comes to this subject, but I'm <laughs> fascinated by the dangerous little things I have learned <laughs> about, about such subjects as quantum theory and mechanics and, and, and subatomic physics, uh, like the, this concept of wave-particle duality, uh, which is the idea that uh, some things like light, for instance, can exhibit the qualities of being both a particle and a wave, which used to be conceived of as totally different substances, right, or, or, or physical phenomenon that are distinct from each other. Certain things like wave, like light can behave in such a way, depending on where and how you're looking at it and measuring it, it can appear to be something different. Mm. Right? As something to do, first of all, with the speed of light that, that breaks the rules, as it were, of Newtonian physics mm. uh, and, and kind of an Einstein, post-Einstein scientific universe of understanding. So it's this paradox that is apparently, uh, like it's a paradox, but it's scientifically true and, and, and verifiable. Mm. Uh, and it just made me think, well, that's interesting. In, in the, in the postmodern era, in our current, in our contemporary moment, there are truths in science that are that are, that are apparent contradictions. Mm. There are truths recognized by scientists that are apparent contradictions. Mm. I thought, are there any truths for us as Christians that are apparent contradictions? <laughs> I think we could think of a few. Yeah. Um, yeah. What like like what? What would that be? Ooh. Yeah. The Trinity, the Incarnation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are probably the two biggest. There's others. Yeah. I think of I think of the relationship between grace and and effort or work. Like yeah. it's a gift, and yet we have to participate in it in order for it to do something to us. You know. And so our women's Bible study is studying James, and as a church, we're studying Galatians. And these uh, poor women are like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah, they're they're experiencing <laughs> wave particle duality. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. In, in the scriptures, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, so, th I mean, this is, y'all are getting a sense maybe of, of the mood, the mood of the postmodern, which is a, maybe a term, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dwell too long on it, but uh, it's a term that's uh, been thrown around for decades now and has perhaps lost uh, maybe, maybe the, the, the hype or the, or the usefulness that it once had, but there was a famous definition given by a philosopher named Leotard once, and, and I... Uh, put it up here. But before I do that, um, 
well, yeah, listen, I'll, I'll share this first part of the definition and then I'll see what y'all think, all right? He defines the postmodern as incredulity toward meta-narratives. It's a very kind of yeah. technical sounding jargon statement, right? <laughs> incredulity toward meta-narratives, okay. Let me just open it up for a second. What, what, how would you, does that mean anything to you? And if not, that's fine. If, if not, how would you, how would you describe, what, what, what do you think of when you hear this term, postmodern? Do what? Oh, meta, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Meta in, in particular, yes, okay. as, a, as a word. Disbelief. Yeah. Toward explanation. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's getting at the meta narrative notion. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. So this is it's a it's a big topic, and there's a lot lot more we can say, but I think that's getting at the general idea that that there is a a skepticism toward big, overarching, comprehensive explanations. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that? Yeah, yeah, I, that, I, mm -hmm. I do think that's part of it, yeah, that's good. So the desire, yeah, the desire to not be beholden to yeah. a certain account of things yourself to have that freedom from it. That's good, that's good. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you're saying, suggesting perhaps that while, while there's this resistance to them, we can't live without them. At least there's a resistance to certain versions of them more than others, perhaps. I think mm -hmm. we see that pretty clearly. Christian, Christian ones in particular. But, but why would that be? Why would there be a resistance to certain meta-narratives today? Yeah, if there's a set of expectations or rules or frameworks that you have to abide by. In order yeah, to per perhaps, perhaps. I think there's an element of truth to that. Yeah. But what about 500 years ago? Was Christianity not demanding? Mm. Right? I mean, it was, wasn't it? Just as much, same as today. Why, why mm. were people okay? Why were people have changed? Yeah. Pilot was so ahead of his time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 good, good. The, I think that is part of what I was getting at, is that there's, not an, there's nothing new under the sun on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, history, history does have, uh, well, we're, we're living in a different time in many obvious ways compared to like a few centuries ago. Um, so I think there are some differences that make a difference. Maybe not ultimately, but in terms of, I mean, for example, the vast majority of people living in Western Europe 
in the last 500 years have been Christians until very recently. Uh, there's been a huge exodus, right? Um, what's, what's that about? Mm. Right? One comment was that people have changed. <laughs> Are people more sinful now than they were? No. <laughs> yeah, well, well, people's perceptions maybe have. Yeah. Culture has changed. Culture's attitude toward and, and what the connotations are uh, that we have with Christianity, mm -hmm. generally speaking, have, have changed. Yeah, I want, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get smited the moment I yeah. walk away from church. <laughs> It's been abused. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're. I think that's a huge part of it. You, two two giant pieces of the story that we can't unpack fully in this time are, would be one the the uh, how to simplify the story how technology has revolutionized the way we live every day uh, together versus on our own and how place and our relationship to place, our relationship to past, our relationship to each other um, has been pretty radically transformed by technology in recent decades and centuries. That would be, um, that would be one thing. And then secondly, yes, that, that there is a popular narrative and a, and, a, and a widespread perception and understanding that is not entire, that is by no means utter, you know, totally false that Christianity uh, is responsible for, or religion is responsible for, or traditional societal norms are responsible for oppression, right? Via colonialism, uh, abuse of power, um, what, what have you, pick your, pick your issue, racism, sexism, uh, homophobia, na name, name the enemy, right? The, the, the thing that you could blame Christianity for and is probably getting blamed for, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is definitely part of it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we got, I'm gonna have to do a little bit of maneuvering <laughs> yeah. here, but let me, let me just, let me summarize it like this, modern versus postmodern. This is helpful, I think, is that it, it wasn't, it, a lot, it's been a long time now since people started doubting traditional religion, okay? I mean, you had philosophers like Immanuel Kant and, uh, someone like, I mean, just 
any number of, of enlightenment thinkers were, were quick, were, were, were on, I mean, Voltaire, many people were, were, were making popular the idea that we needed to, uh, the humanity needed to begin to think for itself and not be beholden to the answers that tradition was giving, right? Whether it came to morality or belief in God or, or how politics and the relationship between church and state should be, all these kinds of things are part of the enlightenment, right? Think for yourself was the mantra that Kant popularized. And there's a lot of uh, maybe liberation that came from that in some respects, but, but there was also, this was a time when people had a great deal, we're beginning to have because of the industrial revolution, because of the scientific revolution, because of what we were learning as a, as a population about the world, about the planet, about, about how things work that was not known before, humanity got very confident in itself. Uh, and that confidence directed a skepticism toward uh, things that were more uh, supernatural, right? And things that were more traditional. And, and I think sometimes what, what gets lost is that today we're not, we're not dealing quite with that same phenomenon like we used to. Because you could have gone back and talked to elite kind of high society people a century ago in Europe, and you would have heard a lot of the same things that we're hearing today in some respects, except for one major difference. Uh, this was before we started to see some of the atro atrocities and, and sort of um, unmet expectations of modernity come home to roost. Mm -hmm. uh, you think about the experience of World War One or World War Two. Uh, there, was, there was a time in the late 19th century and early 20th century when, when European uh, politicians and aristocrats and scholars were talking about how they were going to help usher in this age of like global peace, right? Because of how technology and reason and science were just going to bring us all together and create a more uh, sustainable, civil uh, society. Uh, where we could all get along and, and, and shed the things that were holding us back and embrace the things that would deliver us into a new, better future, right? I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing this, oversimplifying the story, but, but then, then you have the bloodiest, bloodiest mm -hmm. century in the history of humanity unfold mm -hmm. over the next few decades. This tends to damper the spirit a little bit in the Western cultural context in terms of our confidence in reason and our confidence in ourselves to make the world a better place and figure everything out through science, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so so the, the biggest shift, I think, is not that, um, so the, wor the word secular gets thrown around a lot to describe our time as well, but it, I find that it's, it lacks precision around precisely this point, which is that, uh, Whereas in modernity, there was doubtfulness about, um, about supernatural things and maybe traditional things. Uh, in post-modernity, there's just doubt about everything. <laughs> no belief is strong or safe, really. Far fewer beliefs are strong or safe. The bigger they get, the more concerning they are. Mm -hmm. The more they tell, try to tell the whole story, the less trustworthy they can be. Because when you try to tell the whole story, you're making claims on others, which we've seen before how that goes. 
right? And the harm that that can cause and the danger and damage and violence that that can inflict. So when you think you're right, when you think you know the truth, you tend to want to wield it against others mm -hmm. to your benefit. That's the great concern and suspicion of the postmodern spirit. And it's based on a track record that tends to support the theory, mm -hmm. right, in history. Uh, when those who have, uh, who make appeals to absolute truth, morality, and so forth have power to enforce those narratives, yeah. the people without the power uh, lose and, ha and, and, get, and get harmed in the, in the way. So that, I think that gives something of, not everybody can explain it that way or, 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 or give you, like articulate their motivations, but that's something of what's in the, in the air about our attitude toward religion is it makes us nervous. Mm -hmm. um, or even just traditional like confidence in the American constitution makes yeah. us a little nervous because what they're like, wasn't slavery totally accepted by a lot of people even though this you know, freedom thing was trying to be experimented with? Like that, what's up with that? Why can we, can we really trust that origin story? Yeah. Not so much, right? We need, a, we need a new origin story yeah. where black people were uh, respected from the beginning. Uh, these these kinds of things spin out of of uh, this this historical experience. I think. Yeah. Okay, so let me jump ahead and take take just a few minutes to to take us somewhere. Um, you know, I think in terms of Christian faith and proclaiming truth and the gospel and and, and our postmodern moment, there's some there's some adjustments we can make, <laughs> uh, and and and. I'm going to oversimplify this too, but I, when I say adjustments, I don't mean anything about like changing what we believe. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about tending to our posture mm -hmm. and our way of relating to those who are different and, and how much we um, kind of grow in our comfort level with that. Uh, coming out of a time when, especially in the South and in Texas and the United States, like we've had, we've, we've enjoyed an, an extended Christendom experience, experience beyond what most of the Western of Western society has. So that uh, you still have places like uh, downtown San Antonio, where <laughs> there are traditional churches that remain vibrant with programs and people, and yeah. that's relatively rare in our country. Mm -hmm. Relatively, there's still some, but you go up to New York, L.A., San Francisco, it's going to be. If there are traditional churches they're probably, um, it's a different sort of thing that's going on there mm. um, in the, a lot of those cities. So, so uh, what, what, what can, in this post-Christendom, post-modern, post-Christian post moment, how does that affect truth claims? Let me, let me just ask y'all that question before I, whoops. <laughs> Maybe I just pressed the wrong button. There you go. <laughs> Is there another way to affirm or demonstrate Christian truth today um, than the way that it's been demonstrated. You know, what one one approach, just I'm, I skip over this, but I'll mention it real quick. Liberal Christianity came along for a while, and it still exists, but it's, I think, waning in some ways, where there was this move to, to, to relax a lot of the doctrine and focus on social ethics or inward spirituality, right? Because that doesn't offend anybody, right? We can just talk mm -hmm. about being kind and compassionate and having 
uh, mystical experiences with God, right? That make us better people. Mm -hmm. um, that's one direction, right? Another direction would be to go the more fundamentalist direction, which is to double down on the kind of confidence that we think we have in things like the Bible through uh, kind of modern rational defenses of why we believe the things we believe. And, and some of that is quite necessary and good, to be clear. In fact, I don't even think we need to abandon any of that. It's, it's rather that uh, the way that some of that works and some of the discourse there maybe isn't speaking the way it used to, to the questions that people are asking right now, mm -hmm. right? If you ask someone like, well, why don't you trust the Bible? And they say, I, I don't really know. You say, well, here, let me, let me show you why I think you can trust it. And you start talking about um, the reliable records of history, how early it got written down after it was, after it was, uh, uh, after the events happened themselves. And you talk about the, the transmission process and you answer some of the questions about Jesus's claims and how he's either a Lord, liar, or lunatic, or, or and those are, the, those are the only options. I mean, are you going to see the majority of young people today just be like, oh, you're right, you got me, I'm going to become a Christian now. <laughs> you, pr you proved it. Like, in the 90s, that was all the rave, is to, like, do apologetics in such a way that convinced you, oh, it has to be true, I guess. You've used yeah. such good philosophical, winsome, you know, persuasive argument. Um, it just does, it doesn't seem like that's going to work, yeah. in my experience. I'm sure you all can agree. Yeah. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, please. That's a good, because it goes the other way too, right? With anything we want, if we're going to take someone at their word, then we want to know that person very, very well to be able to trust their word, right? Because like, I have a example. So I got an email today about, from this guy that I've never met before in my life that um, was deeply offended by something that the church was doing. And he was being very clear, you should change this. And I hope because of what I have said in this email, that you will change what you're doing, Right. And I was, in my head, I was like, if I changed what I was doing based on every email by a stranger that told me to change, you know, that would be crazy, right? Why would I take it, this guy, at his word that I don't know, right? Now, if David, who I know well, said, Megan, I'm really upset about this, and here's why, right? I would be much more likely to take that to heart, right, and to, to think about changing because I know David, right? And that's what you're getting at is it, we need that all the time. Right. And that's, I think you're right. I think that's important, but that just made me think of that email I got today. So that, that helps me. Yeah, I, I don't think relationship is going out of style. Yeah. And yeah. the need for it in order to share and witness yeah. uh, and testify. Yeah. yeah. There was a comment Ross, did you? from y'all's table. Ross, yeah. Mm. 
That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think they're just they don't find uh, this is this is I, I, it's not just young people. It's it's it feels like it's people, um, but it includes it is it is a lot of young people. I, I think there's a sense in which there's still something missing from from like you could make an argument that sounds I mean, part of it part of it's. Uh, I, I get into this elsewhere, and I'll share y'all my slides with you because you're not going to mm. get anywhere near through them. That's okay. <laughs> uh, there's a uh, what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at in this slide. I I, I call it fundamentalist because I want to be clear that I'm not picking on conservatives, <laughs> but it's not it's not just fundamentalists, right? It's a lot yeah. of us that do this, whether we know it or not. There's a way that faith is held that is different from the way we believe in other kinds of truths. Mm. And propositional truth claims that are based on probability or, or uh, even demonstrated logical proofs um, can be believed in in such a way that they don't actually change anything about me or how I live or mm -hmm. uh, yeah, how it's gonna affect my life. Um, and I think what culture is very, very, very dialed into is whether a belief has any bearing whatsoever um, on someone's approach to life and how it affects their treatment of others. Uh, and so I don't think that arguments for example, for the likelihood of the, the resurrection, for instance, historically speaking, are going to make someone want to worship Jesus unless they've already been very much intrigued by the prospect of what that means in the first place. Mm. Uh, so Blaise Pascal says somewhere, who, who's an interestingly like prophetic writer for mm. his time, writing very pre-modern for the most part, mm -hmm. uh, he says that, actually I have the quote somewhere. <laughs> this is gonna take me a second, but I'll find it. Uh, there oh, there it is. <laughs> he says, make religion attractive Make good people, he says men, but I changed it, gender inclusive. Make good <laughs> people wish it were true. Then show, I'm putting emphasis, but, and then show that it is. Worthy of reverence because it really understands human nature. Attractive because it promises true good. I don't think people see why they would want to believe in Christianity anymore, even mm -hmm. if it were true. Yeah. They don't understand what's good news about it in the first place. If anything, it feels like bad news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, I, I, there, that is part of it. Uh, I think there are always going to be good and bad stories about Christians. Mm -hmm. What, yes, yeah. but what Pascal's talking about is especially focused on how is the story of Christianity and the gospel actually good news to mm -hmm. the world and not bad news ultimately. Uh, 
and I think Christians have not been great, generally speaking, these days at being able to, to share with their lives and with their words why the gospel is, um, does a, gives a fuller account of life and gives meaning and purpose and understanding and redemption and hope and significance and identity in a way that no other paradigm worldview can or religious perspective or postmodern, you know, skepticism, like being able to actually boldly, uh, like at, at UT, we, we, I try to talk about how we want to have a, this is the name of a book too, confident, can we enter into a confident pluralism? Like we know that there are competing ideas out there, but we're going to put ours forward because we think it's the best one. Mm. We, we assume that there's competition. We assume that we're the minority, but we're going to stand up for what we think is the best understanding of how things actually work in the world based on uh, the biblical narrative. And recognizing what's beautiful about that narrative, what's compelling, how it points to goodness and how that goodness we can finally be believed in as true. So that's what I was getting at with, I didn't talk about it, but y'all might have seen yeah. this order. Like, and I, I, where it goes is, um, yeah, there we go. This theologian that I wrote about in my dissertation for a couple chapters who, who developed in the 20th century an order to theology that starts with beauty. Uh, Balthazar is his name. And, and he does this because he thinks that um, we've lost a sense of how the gospel and Christ is the most beautiful thing anyone could ever behold, so, such that they would want it to be true once they learn that it might be. Mm. Right? 